Chapter fourteen, part one of the Bohemians of the Latin Quarter by Henri Murger. Translated by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter fourteen. Mademoiselle Mimi, part one. Oh, my friend Rodolphe, what has happened to change you thus? Am I to believe the rumors that are current? and that this misfortune has broken down to such a degree your robust philosophy how can i the historian in ordinary of your bohemian epic so full of joyous bursts of laughter narrate in a sufficiently melancholy tone the painful adventure which casts a veil over your constant gaiety and suddenly checks the ringing flow of your paradoxes oh rodolphe my friend i admit that the evil is serious but there really it is not worth while throwing oneself into the water about it so i invite you to bury the past as soon as possible shun above all the solitude peopled with phantoms who would help to render your regrets eternal shun the silence where the echoes of recollection would still be full of your past joys and sorrows cast boldly to all the winds of forgetfulness the name you have so fondly cherished and with it all that still remains to you of her who bore it curls pressed by lips mad with desire a venice flask in which there still lurks a remainder of perfume which at this moment it would be more dangerous for you to breathe than all the poisons in the world to the fire with the flowers the flowers of gauze silk and velvet the white geraniums the anemones empurpled by the blood of adonis the blue forget-me-nots and all those charming bouquets that she put together in the far-off days of your brief happiness then i loved her too your mimi and saw no danger in your loving her but follow my advice to the fire with the ribbons the pretty pink blue and yellow ribbons which she wore round her neck to attract the eye to the fire with the lace the caps the veils and all the coquettish trifles with which she bedecked herself to go love-making with monsieur Cesar monsieur jerome monsieur charles or any other gallant in the calendar whilst you were awaiting her at your window shivering from the wintry blast to the fire rodolphe and without pity with all that belonged to her and could still speak to you of her to the fire with the love-letters ah here is one of them and your tears have bedewed it like a fountain oh my unhappy friend as you have not come in i am going out to call on my aunt i have taken what money there was for a cab lucile oh that evening oh rodolphe you had do you not recollect to go without your dinner and you called on me and let off a volley of jests which fully attested your tranquillity of mind for you believed lucile was at her aunt's and if i had not told you that she was with monsieur Cesar or with an actor of the montparnasse theatre you would have cut my throat to the flyer too with this other note which has all the laconic affection of the first i am gone out to order some boots you must find the money for me to go and fetch them to-morrow ah my friend those boots have danced many quadrilles in which you did not figure as a partner to the flames with all these remembrances and to the winds with their ashes but in the first place o oh rodolphe for the love of humanity and the reputation of the scarf of iris and the beaver resume the reins of good taste that you have egotistically dropped during your sufferings or else horrible things may happen for which you will be responsible 
we may go back to leg of mutton sleeves and frilled trousers and some fine day see hats come into fashion which would afflict the universe and call down the wrath of heaven and now the moment is come to relate the loves of our friend rodolphe and mimi it was just as he was turned four-and-twenty that rodolphe was suddenly smitten with the passion that had such an influence upon his life at the time he met mimi he was leading that broken and fantastic existence that we have tried to describe in the preceding chapters of this book he was certainly one of the gayest endurers of poverty in the world of bohemia when in course of the day he had made a poor dinner and a smart remark he walked more proudly in his black coat pleading for help through every gaping seam along the pavement that often promised to be his only resting-place for the night than an emperor in his purple robe in the group amongst whom rodolphe lived they affected after a fashion common enough amongst some young fellows to treat love as a thing of luxury a pretext for jesting gustave colline who had for a long time past been in intimate relations with a waistcoat-maker whom he was rendering deformed in mind and body by obliging her to sit day and night copying the manuscripts of his philosophical works asserted that love was a kind of purgative good to take at the beginning of each season in order to get rid of humours amidst all these false sceptics rodolphe was the only one who dared to talk of love with some reverence and when they had the misfortune to let him harp on this string he would go on for an hour plaintively warbling elegies on the happiness of being loved the deep blue of the peaceful lake the song of the breeze the harmony of the stars etc etc this mania had caused him to be nicknamed the harmonica by schaunard marcel had also made on this subject a very neat remark when alluding to the teutonically sentimental tirades of rodolphe and to his premature calvity he called him the bald forget-me-not the real truth was this rodolphe then seriously believed he had done with all things of youth and love he insolently chanted a de profundis over his heart which he thought dead when it was only silent yet still ready to awake still accessible to joy and more susceptible than ever to all the sweet pangs that he no longer hoped for and that were now driving him to despair you would have it rodolphe and we shall not pity you for the disease from which you are suffering is one of those we long for most above all when we know that we are cured of it for ever rodolphe then met mimi whom he had formerly known when she was the mistress of one of his friends and he made her his own there was at first a great outcry amongst rodolphe's friends when they learned of this union but as mademoiselle mimi was very taking not at all prudish and could stand tobacco smoke in literary conversations without a headache they became accustomed to her and treated her as a comrade mimi was a charming girl and especially adapted for both the plastic and poetical sympathies of rodolphe she was twenty-two years of age small delicate and arch her face seemed the first sketch of an aristocratic countenance but her features extremely fine in outline and as it were softly lit up by the light of her clear blue eyes wore at certain moments of weariness or ill-humour an expression of almost savage brutality in which a physiologist would perhaps have recognised the indication of profound egotism or great insensibility but hers was usually a charming head with a fresh and youthful smile and glances either tender or full of imperious coquetry the blood of youth flowed warm and rapid in her veins 
and imparted rosy tints to her transparent skin of camellia-like whiteness this unhealthy beauty captivated rodolphe and he often during the night spent hours in covering with kisses the pale forehead of his slumbering mistress whose humid and weary eyes shone half closed beneath the curtain of her magnificent brown hair but what contributed above all to make rodolphe madly in love with mademoiselle mimi were her hands which in spite of household cares she managed to keep as white as those of the goddess of idleness however these hands so frail so tiny so soft to the lips these childlike hands in which rodolphe had placed his once more awakened heart these white hands of mademoiselle mimi were soon to rend that heart with their rosy nails at the end of a month rodolphe began to perceive that he was wedded to a thunderstorm and that his mistress had one great fault she was a gadabout as they say and spent a great part of her time amongst the kept women of the neighbourhood whose acquaintance she had made the result that rodolphe had feared when he perceived the relations contracted by his mistress soon took place the variable opulence of some of her new friends caused a forest of ambitious ideas to spring up in the mind of mademoiselle mimi who up until then had only had modest tastes and was content with the necessaries of life that rodolphe did his best to procure for her mimi began to dream of silks velvets and lace and despite rodolphe's prohibition she continued to frequent these women who were all of one mind in persuading her to break off with the bohemian who could not even give her a hundred and fifty francs to buy a stuffed dress pretty as you are said her advisers you can easily secure a better position you have only to look for it and mademoiselle mimi began to look a witness of her frequent absences clumsily accounted for rodolphe entered upon the painful track of suspicion but as soon as he felt himself on the trail of some proof of infidelity he eagerly drew a bandage over his eyes in order to see nothing however a strange jealous fantastic quarrelsome love which the girl did not understand because she then only felt for rodolphe that lukewarm attachment resulting from habit besides half of her heart had already been expended over her first love and the other half was still full of the remembrance of her first lover eight months passed by in this fashion good and evil days alternating during this period rodolphe was a score of times on the point of separating from mademoiselle mimi who had for him all the clumsy cruelties of the woman who does not love properly speaking this life had become a hell for both but rodolphe had grown accustomed to these daily struggles and dreaded nothing so much as a cessation of this state of things for he felt that with it would cease forever the fever and agitations of youth that he had not felt for so long and then if everything must be told there were hours in which mademoiselle mimi knew how to make rodolphe forget all the suspicions that were tearing at his heart there were moments when she caused him to bend like a child at her knee beneath the charm of her blue eyes the poet to whom she had given back his lost poetry the young man to whom she had restored his youth and who thanks to her was once more beneath love's equator two or three times a month amidst these stormy quarrels rodolphe and mimi halted with one accord at the verdant oasis of a night of love and for whole hours would give himself up to addressing her in that charming yet absurd language that passion improvises in its hour of delirium mimi listened calmly at first rather astonished than moved but in the end the enthusiastic eloquence of rodolphe 
by turns tender lively and melancholy won on her by degrees she felt the ice of indifference that numbed her heart melt at the contact of the love she would throw herself on rodolphe's breast and tell him by kisses all that she was unable to tell him in words and dawn surprised them thus enlaced together eyes fixed on eyes hands clasped in hands whilst their moist and burning lips were still murmuring that immortal word that for five thousand years has lingered nightly on lovers lips but the next day the most futile pretext brought about a quarrel and love alarmed fled again for some time in the end however rodolphe perceived that if he did not take care the white hands of mademoiselle mimi would lead him to an abyss in which he would leave his future and his youth for a moment stern reason spoke in him more strongly than love and he convinced himself by strong arguments backed up by proofs that his mistress did not love him he went so far as to say to himself that the hours of love she granted him were nothing but a mere sensual caprice such as married women feel for their husbands when they long for a cashmere shawl or a new dress or when their lover is away in accordance with the proverb that half a loaf is better than no bread in short rodolphe could forgive his mistress everything except not being loved he therefore took a supreme resolution and announced to mademoiselle mimi that she would have to look out for another lover mimi began to laugh and to utter bravados in the end seeing that rodolphe was firm in his resolve and greeted her with extreme calmness when she returned home after a day and a night spent out of the house she began to grow a little uneasy in face of this firmness to which she was not accustomed she was then charming for two or three days but her lover did not go back on what he had said and contented himself with asking whether she had found any one i have not even looked she replied however she had looked and even before rodolphe had advised her to do so in a fortnight she had made two essays one of her friends had helped her and had at first procured her the acquaintance of a very tender youth who had unfolded before mimi's eyes a horizon of indian cashmeres and suites of furniture in rosewood but in the opinion of mimi herself this young schoolboy who might be very good at algebra was not very advanced in the art of love and as she did not like undertaking education she left her amorous novice on the lurch with his cashmere still browsing on the plains of tibet and his rosewood furniture still growing in the forests of the new world the schoolboy was soon replaced by a breton gentleman with whom mimi was soon rapidly smitten and she had no need to pray long before becoming his nominal countess despite his mistress's protestations rodolphe had wind of some intrigue he wanted to know exactly how matters stood and one morning after a night during which mademoiselle mimi had not returned hastened to the place where he suspected her to be there he was able to strike home at his heart with one of those proofs to which one must give credence in spite of oneself he saw mademoiselle mimi with two eyes encircled with an aureola of satisfied voluptuousness leaving the residence in which she had acquired her title of nobility on the arm of her new lord and master who to tell the truth appeared far less proud of her new conquest than paris after the rape of helen on seeing her lover appear mademoiselle mimi seemed somewhat surprised she came up to him and for five minutes they talked very quietly together they then parted each on their separate way their separation was agreed upon rodolphe returned home and spent the day in packing up all the things belonging to his mistress 
during the day that followed his divorce he received the visit of several friends and announced to them what had happened every one congratulated him on this event as on a piece of great good fortune we will aid you o poet said one of those who had been the most frequent spectator of the annoyances mademoiselle mimi had made rodolphe undergo we will help you to free your heart from the clutches of this evil creature in a little while you will be cured and quite ready to rove with another mimi along the green lanes of aulnay and fontenay aux roses rodolphe swore that he had done for ever with regrets and despair he even let himself be led away to the bal mobile when his dilapidated get-up did scant honour to the scarf of iris his editorship of which procured him free admission to this garden of elegance and pleasure there rodolphe met some fresh friends with whom he began to drink he related to them his woes and unheard-of luxury of imaginative style and for an hour was perfectly dazzling with liveliness and go alas said the painter marcel as he listened to the flood of irony pouring from his friend's lips rodolphe is too lively far too lively he is charming replied a young woman to whom rodolphe had just offered a bouquet and although he is very badly got up i would willingly compromise myself by dancing with him if he would invite me two seconds later rodolphe who had overheard her was at her feet enveloping his invitation in a speech scented with all the musk and benjamin of a gallantry at eight degrees richelieu the lady was confounded by the language sparkling with dazzling adjectives and phrases modelled on those in vogue during the regency and the invitation was accepted rodolphe was as ignorant of the elements of dancing as of the rule of three but he was impelled by an extraordinary audacity he did not hesitate but improvised a dance unknown to all bygone choreography it was a step the originality of which obtained an incredible success and that has been celebrated under the title of regrets and sighs it was all very well for the three thousand jets of gas to blink at him rodolphe went on at it all the same and continued to pour out a flood of novel madrigals to his partner well said marcel this is incredible rodolphe reminds me of a drunken man rolling amongst broken glass at any rate he has got hold of a deuced fine woman said another seeing rodolphe about to leave with his partner won't you say good-night cried marcel after him rodolphe came back to the artist and held out his hand it was cold and damp as a wet stone rodolphe's companion was a strapping normandy wench whose native rusticity had promptly acquired an aristocratic tinge amidst the elegancies of parisian luxury and an idle life she was styled madame seraphine and was for the time being mistress of an incarnate rheumatism in the shape of a peer of france who gave her fifty louis a month which she shared with a counter-jumper who gave her nothing but hard knocks rodolphe had pleased her she hoped that he would not think of giving her anything and took him off home with her lucille said she to her waiting-maid i am not at home to any one and passing into her bedroom she came out ten minutes later in a special costume she found rodolphe dumb and motionless for since he had come in he had been plunged despite himself into a gloom full of silent sobs why you no longer look at me or speak to me said the astonished seraphine come said rodolphe to himself lifting his head let us look at her but only for the sake of art and what a sight met his eyes as raoul says in the huguenots end of chapter fourteen part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine